Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. What better way to start this morning than this invitation from Christ? Come to me. Take my yoke. Let me teach you. Today we're looking at the last half of Matthew 11, where we see Jesus give this invitation to make a decision. The decision is this. Come to me. What does this look like? To come to Christ. How do we choose to let him teach us? When was the last time you experienced complete rest? And why is Jesus the only one who can provide that for us? Good morning. My name is Ben Till. I'm one of the elders in our family of churches serving primarily at Bluffton Community. That's why I have this monogrammed B on my, uh, on my shirt. It's not for my name. Uh, everybody always jokes about that, so I always got to make that, that comment. Um, but it's an honor to be here at Lighthouse with you sharing God's word. Um, I love being at Lighthouse Community. This is where uh, my wife and, and my kids and I started coming to church uh, quite a few years ago. And God has obviously called us to, to something else, but it's always great to come back and see uh, the smiles and the faces of people that we know and love here. Whether you're here in the house or joining us via live stream, there are so many places that you could be. It's a busy time of year, as we talked about with Christmas coming up. Um, there's so many choices for you guys to make. So for you guys to be here, for you to be celebrating with us this morning, uh, we are very excited for you to be here and we're thankful for you. Um, last week, Larry took, uh, took us through the first half of Matthew 11, in which John sends some of his disciples to Jesus asking the question, are you really who we've been waiting for? Are you really the anointed one? If this is your first Sunday with us, I encourage you to go back and find those on YouTube. We've got the, the whole 10-week series up until today on YouTube or um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And those, are, those have been great messages so far um, that we're kind of wrapping up this morning. And like Heidi said, we're going to be taking a look at uh, verse 20 of chapter 11, where we start. So if you haven't done so already, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, or you're, you're welcome to click over there in your devices. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, but you're welcome to follow along in, in whatever translation you brought with you today. Before we go any further and do that, um, I'd like, a, like to take a second to pray. Please join me. Father in heaven, we are here to let you teach us. We are eager for your rest. Help us this morning to find our rest in you. Amen. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. 
What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on judgment day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on judgment day than you. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Amen. Here are the truths that that I feel like God revealed to me as I studied this passage and and kind of uh, prayed through this and, and just kind of listened to his voice. Number one, Jesus deserves a response. We see that in the first four verses uh, of this passage. The second truth is that Jesus reveals himself to the dependent, to the humble. And third, Jesus offers complete rest. This section of scripture begins with Jesus declaring judgment on the unrepentant, unsatisfied, unchanged people of Chorazin, Bethsaida, in Capernaum. If we go back a couple verses into last week's message, uh, Jesus said this to the crowds following him in Matthew eleven sixteen through 19. To what can I compare this generation? It is like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends. We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. For John didn't spend his time eating and drinking and you say he's possessed by a demon. The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners, but wisdom is to be shown to be right by its results. In other words, he's saying this, nothing I do will make you happy. If I do this, fill in the blank, you'll find something to complain about. If I do that, fill in the blank, you'll find a reason to criticize me. In response to this, Jesus reveals a harsh truth to the crowds listening. Given the same information that you have, the most wicked people in the history of the world would have recognized who I am and repented of their sins. So quick background on who he's talking to and who he's talking about. The, the crowds that were following him, the crowds from these three towns, would have heard the Sermon on the Mount, would have been there and been fed, or at least heard about the feeding of the 5,000, 
And then Capernaum is the place where like all of the miracles we've been talking about during this entire series have happened. Things like the healing of the leper, healing of a paralyzed man, healing the woman with the bleeding disorder, healing a blind guy, healing people that were demon-possessed across the sea, sending those demons into herds of pigs and them all dying. And let's not forget the big one. He brought a girl back from the dead. All of these things were things that he had done in the towns where these people were from. John 21, 25 says this, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. So countless things, time after time, Jesus showed up and and declared who he was through the things that he was doing, the things that he was saying. And yet, the crowds are just kind of like, eh, not really a big deal. I've seen it before, okay? I don't know if they had. I mean, the Pharisees talk about, you know, uh, him being a sorcerer. And so there, there's, there's possibility that some of these things had been done, but not in the way that Jesus was doing it, okay? Matthew eleven twenty one says, what sorrow awaits you? And he says this because their lack of repentance, On the flip side, the people that he's comparing them to, Tyre, Sidon, Sodom, we don't know as much about Tyre and Sidon as we do about Sodom, okay? I think everybody has at least heard um, or or knows a little bit about the, the things that happened at Sodom and Gomorrah, but Ezekiel 26 is very clear about what God feels about the people of Tyre. He basically says, like, I'm going to wipe you out for all eternity, like nothing will ever come back the way that you are right now. And they were a great nation just to the north of Israel. Genesis 18 and 19 make it very clear that Sodom and Gomorrah is not a great place to live, okay? Uh, If you remember, that's the place where Abraham's like, hey, God, like, if there's just this many people, will you spare it? God's like, sure, go find them. Couldn't find them, all right? We like all the way down to 10 people. There was one guy, all right? One guy and his family were spared, um, and then the rest of it got pretty salty, okay? Right. Nobody ever laughs at my jokes. So thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. All right. <clears throat> so what is, what is Jesus really saying to these people? Okay. He's saying to the people, especially the crowds following him, just because you are in an area where God is present and moving does not mean that you are saved or righteous by association. Let me say that again. Just because you're in a place where God is present and working does not mean that you are saved by association. We all must respond. The Messiah deserves a response from us. And what is the response that he's asking or or calling these people to? The response is to repent. So when you go back and you look at that word repentance, I think we've all heard that word. Um, But in ancient times, that was a military word. It was basically the term that was used anytime a general would, would throw out a command, his troops would stop in their tracks, they would turn, and they would head in the right direction. So what Jesus is telling these people, because you have not turned into the right direction, because you have not stopped going in the direction that you were going and responded to my call, you're far worse off than these towns. 
these towns that we have declared judgment on, these towns that have received the judgment. Even worse than this, these people believed that just because Jesus was here and just because Jesus was moving around them, that they were somehow special. Not only were they unrepentant, they were indifferent and proud. Revelation 3.16 says this, But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. We've seen so many different responses throughout this series. We've seen the people who come in humility and surrender and dependence, including the leper, the Roman officer, the bleeding woman, the paralytic and his friends, the father of the little girl who had died. And still others, they want nothing to do with him. The crowds in the towns where the the demon-possessed men were brought back to their right mind, they're like, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you just get out of here. We would rather have the pigs. We would rather have our money than you. Those are hot and cold responses. The yeses and the noes that Jesus was expecting. The things that he's seeing from the people where he's done most of his work is that prideful indifference. Guys, this is a warning that I feel we all need to really listen to because there's a lot of people in and around the towns that we live, in our workplace, that have a prideful indifference thinking that we live in a Christian nation. Man, our, our, our country, we were founded. We were founded on Christian principles and that somehow makes us better than everybody else. And yet the truth is the same for these people as it is for us. We've got to turn and start heading towards Jesus. We cannot rest on the laurels of our grandparents. We cannot rest on the fact that I was raised in a Christian family. I myself have to make a decision to follow Jesus. Jesus quickly transitions from judgment to thanksgiving praying in gratitude to the Father for hiding these things from the wise and the clever in revealing them to the childlike. Meaning the truth about who he is, that's what these things are. When he said this, Matthew eleven four and 5, he says, Go back and tell John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, The dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. These are the things that were being hidden. These are the things that people saw and didn't really respond to. The Amplified uses the word infants in place of of childlike. The infants are the ones who see what's going on here. The childlike are the ones who see it, and they respond. While there's plenty to unpack here theologically, I believe that the main point here, the thing that stands out the most to me, is that those to whom the Son has chosen to reveal himself and the Father are dependent, humble, and childlike. Infants don't argue their dependence, they just depend. This is a great challenge for all of us. Whether we have grown up physically or we are spiritually not yet uh, growing up or, or we are growing up spiritually ourselves, 
The challenge is to stay dependent no matter what. The challenge is to continue to look to him, continue to raise our arms to him, and continue to ask him to take care of us. A couple weeks ago, uh, my family and I went to a worship concert down in Cincinnati, and it was, uh, it was a very big church, very big church, like thousands of seat auditorium, that sort of thing. Um, my kids and I had gone to the restroom and come back, and we had gotten there late, so we were kind of standing in the aisles, and my wife was striking up a conversation with an older gentleman, and uh, the, the topic of conversation was, how did, how did this start? Like, uh, this, is a, this is a wonderful place. This is a, a really cool venue. Um, we want to know how it started. We're kind of in that, like, uh, you know, the business of church startups. We were at one in Houston that was kind of a smaller church that grew into a larger church. We were here at Lighthouse as you guys have been growing. Now we're at Bluffton trying to, to start something there. And not that our goal is to, to create a 3,000 seat auditorium, but it's, it's fun to know origin stories. Um, and this guy is probably in his mid to late 70s, early 80s. And he was, he was telling us how it was like 10 families who wanted to start uh, a church of worship not a church of religion. That, that was cool. That was cool to hear that. Um, and then he started talking about how they, they all just met in their homes, and over time they invited and they invited and they, they outgrew their homes, and so they started to, to meet in other places. And um, they just kept outgrowing places, and they were in a, a place where a big box store had gone out of business. So kind of think about... Um, like a Lowe's type of a warehouse, like huge, huge building. And so they were like, how are we going to buy this place? Like, we feel like that's where God's telling us, uh, you know, to, to put our roots down. And so they all sell their homes. They put their homes up on the market and, you know, it's like 10 to 15 families. They came up with about $750,000 is what they could, what they could gather up. Um, meanwhile, there's all these businesses from around the, the country that are putting in their offers, and, and it would be places like Lowe's and Menards, and you know places with a lot of a lot of liquid cash that that they could you know outbid these people. And as they're sitting there, you know they're still trusting God. One of the daughters of the family um, comes up, and she's like, "You know what? Um, I just read about uh, Joshua and the Israelites marching around Jericho. Let's march around this place seven times and see what happens." And I'm getting choked up because I, I remember the response of this guy. Guy who's in his 70s or 80s. And he couldn't finish the story. This has probably been 15, 20 years ago. And he's still choked up, still in awe of what God did. Because they did. They did go around the building seven times. And the next day, there were no offers on that building except theirs. You know, and, and so the moral of the story is not, hey, um, if you want a new truck, you go march around it seven times and God's going to be like, hey, you know, you can have it. Um, that's, that's not what we're talking about here. But the idea is the most sweet and childlike responses often get the biggest movements and the biggest responses from God. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Jesus is inviting everyone then and everyone now. Come to me. The heavy burdens and the yokes would have resonated very much with these, with these crowds listening to them. There would have been Romans in that crowd that were polytheistic, and they were just doing everything they could, offering every sacrifice that they could to appease the gods, just to make sure that they're not angry. Okay? They had gods of this and that and whatever, and if you didn't get it right, the other one would be upset and all this kind of stuff. You would have had Jewish people in this crowd that would have been trying to find rest, rest in the Sabbath, but what they had actually done is taken God's commandment for rest and turned it into a form of work. Okay? If you've ever looked up uh, the way that they, the way that they uh, kind of built this hedge around the Sabbath to try to make sure that nobody did anything that would break the, the idea to rest, there were like 39 laws, 39 laws that they had to follow on the Sabbath, okay? Now, the fun part is you, you read through the, the New Testament, and it's always fun to read Jesus, like, literally just stomping on all of these laws, like, these laws are stupid, okay? <laughs> this is not what we meant, okay? And he said, you know, and, and he's talking, because, like, he was part of the, the rule giver at the beginning. Like, my favorite is when he spits in the dirt to heal a blind guy, because spitting in dirt was breaking the Sabbath, because spitting in dirt made mud, and mud you could use to make bricks, and then you'd be building things, and you'd be working. So he literally spits in the face of these rules and heals a blind guy. And it's like, what are you going to do? Okay? They were upset. They were upset. Okay? Now, the, the interesting thing is I've been reading through the Old Testament a lot lately, and uh, there's several things uh, that, that it talks about in the Sabbath. And I wanted to just kind of go through these quickly. Exodus 23.12 talks about using six days for ordinary work and taking the seventh day uh, to stop working so that you and your workers, your tools, your livestock, all of that will be refreshed. Exodus 31.16 and 17 says very much the same things but this is interesting. On the, the last part of this one in verse 17, it says, For six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he stopped working and was refreshed. The Lord was refreshed by rest. Exodus 34, 21. You have six days, okay? But on the seventh day you got to stop working. Even in the seasons of plowing and harvest, even when you're busiest, take time, take a break. Exodus 35.2, you have six days each week for ordinary work, but on the seventh day, it must be a day of complete rest. Jesus saying, come to me, all of you, and I will give you rest would have been a loud and clear declaration of identity to every single person in that crowd Jesus is saying, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, it is in me that you find rest. Other gods have nothing for you. They're man-made. The Sabbath rules, of which there were 39, actually are their own form of work. 
Hebrews 4, 6 says it like this. God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. God intended the Sabbath to be a time of complete rest in which his people traded working for trusting him. In this passage, Jesus confirms he is the complete rest that God was inviting us all to from the beginning. Anybody ever seen that, that meme or that gif? It, it you know, kind of asks you if you're an early bird or a night owl. And then there, there's a third option now. Okay? The third option is the idea of being a permanently exhausted pigeon. Okay, It just walks around, his eyes are half open, he's got a cup of coffee, and it's just like never, ever, never, ever um, finding complete rest or the, the amount of rest that it needs. Um, of the three, I think I'm probably most in relation to that third one, the, the permanently exhausted pigeon. Um, and as I, as I prepared for this, I was telling somebody earlier, like, I felt like the least prepared to teach on rest. Like when I saw the, the teaching calendar and Fritz uh, gives me this one, I'm like, really? Like Fritz, you remember that conversation like two months ago where I told you I don't have rest, I don't have a Sabbath, like am I you know, breaking the rules and all this kind of stuff? Um, and I, you know, I, I think Fritz was trying to teach me something, but I think Fritz was also leaning in and being obedient to God as God tried to teach me something. That physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion are going to be part of life. Like we work in toil, okay? And we work in toil because of sin. This is uh, especially true uh, for people who are parents. I think everybody who's a parent in this room understands the idea of being exhausted all the time, okay? And it doesn't really like go away when your kids get older. Um, You know, we talk about, my wife and I talk about being in the sweet spot where we're like, our kids are a little bit more dependent, but you just find new things to like be worried about and uh, not find rest in. But even in all of that, okay, Jesus is calling us to an even deeper rest than anything physical, anything emotional, anything mental. He's calling us into spiritual rest that's only found through repentance and turning to him. As I've studied the works of Jesus through this series, it's been clear to me uh, that none of the healings, none of the miracles that Jesus performed were meant to be merely physical things. I know this because like in Matthew 9, 5, it says this, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to stand up and walk? Remember when the paralytic came down through the roof and and he says, hey, you know, your faith is great and your sins are forgiven. And everybody's like, (gasps) Because he's, he's saying, I'm God in that moment. He's saying, I have the ability to forgive sins. Now, everybody else was thinking like, but the dude can't walk, Jesus. Like, why did, why did you not do that? And so he's like, oh, by the way, yeah, you can, you can walk too. Get up, go, okay? But he knew that the deepest need of this, this guy, the deepest need and the thing that the people needed to see the most and hear the most is I am God, I can forgive your sins. I can give you that complete rest that God was talking about when he talked about the Sabbath. Christ came to take our sin so that we may approach the Father boldly. 
As I mentioned earlier, I've been reading a lot through the Old Testament, um, and, and it's really interesting to read through uh, this, you know, just the passages about Moses, and now I'm into Joshua, and the people who are leading the Israelites through the wilderness. And the really sad part is you get to the end of Deuteronomy, and Moses dies right before he gets to enter rest. Right before he gets to the promised land. He gets to see it, but he doesn't get to experience it. This is not what happened with Jesus. See, Moses was like a really special prophet who got to see God face to face. And then there's Jesus. Jesus isn't just a special prophet who got to see God face to face. He is God. Jesus died so that we may be forgiven, we may be made righteous. He tore the veil, the separation between us and God. And then you know what he did? He went to heaven and he sat down. He went to heaven and he sat down next to the Father, at the right hand of the Father, and he rested because the work was done. He died once and for all. Christ invites us to come to him, to yoke up with him, and to let, us, let him teach us. Yoking up to him means that we trust the work he has done, and we rest. In our own self-leadership, we fall into the trap of trying to figure out our own way forward. We want to be the hero of our story, unreliant, on others, self-sufficient to solve our own problems and accomplish our own tasks. This way, we can be the ones who find the glory. We can be the ones that people look to and go, oh, man, you're amazing. But remember what Jesus said to the towns at Capernaum. Will you be honored in heaven? No. You will go down to the place of the dead. For those following along in, in the Greek, that's, that's H-E double hockey sticks, okay? That is not a place anybody wants to go. All of our work leads to one place. It leads to death. Christ's work leads to life. In order to do this, in order to yoke up with him, in order to rest in him, I think there's a few things that we kind of need to figure out. And, and this is going to kind of you know, bleed into some of our next steps. But I, I want to ask some of these questions, and I want you to, to personalize these for yourself. The first one is, what am I currently yoked to? Okay, and once you kind of figure that out, the question is, should I be yoked to that? And if it's, if it's no, we've got to start to think, how do I unyoke? I think that's a really difficult thing to think about. How do you unyoke from something that you're currently yoked to? There, for some of us, it's going to be really easy. For others, it's going to be like steps that we have to take in order to uh, do that in kind of a, a healthy and, and, um, and positive way. If it is something that you're supposed to be yoked to, how am I letting Christ help me carry that? Okay. Some of us are yoked to the right things, but we're still trying to do it on our own. Okay? The yoke that Jesus is talking about is the type of yoke where you'd put two oxen. One was a little bit older, one was a little bit younger. Okay? Um, you don't want to pull that yoke on your own. Okay? You, you want to make sure that you've got someone helping you carry it. 
Okay? So if you need to yoke up with Christ, it's, the question is, how will I do that? How will I yoke up with him? Where is he calling me to rest? Where is he calling me to be refreshed? Unlike the Jewish tradition, not all activity is work. Okay? And I think that we've got this idea that like on Sunday um, or whatever the, the day that you choose as Sabbath, because we don't really have to make it one specific day um, like we did in the past, that I've just got to lie in bed, do nothing, and like nap the whole time. And while naps are great, I don't, I don't really think that's what the Sabbath um, is really pointing to. The idea is what, what brings me refreshment, okay? Um, for me, I find refreshment, oddly enough, in elders' meetings. Being around Fritz and Larry, Don, when, when he uh, was an elder here, Marty now down at Bluffton, that fills me. You can ask my wife. I come home from those meetings, and it's usually like 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. I've been at work all day. It, it's been a long day, and I, like, can't sleep. Now, amazingly enough, most of that time is spent in the Word. It's spent in prayer. It's spent learning and growing with other disciples. Some, like, non-spiritual things that I think bring me refreshment is, like, working out spending time with my family, uh, mowing the yard. I just put my earbuds in. I listen to a sermon. I listen to, you know, Christian music. And I just kind of like, I don't have to think for a little bit, okay? That sometimes is refreshing. Because I think sometimes, too, one of the most refreshing things um, is, is to be productive. I think sometimes we get stressed out because we're not productive enough, Okay? The other thing that we got to really think about is being careful not to compare ourselves to others. What refreshes me does not refresh them, vice versa. Okay? God created each one of you, and he knows the things that refresh each one of us. Okay? Trusting and believing in Jesus Christ, trusting and believing the anointed one is the thing that ultimately brings us to rest. And so finding those things that help me keep my eyes on him, help me stay focused on him, help me find my refreshment in him, are the things that he's calling us to do on the Sabbath, okay? And this must be a decision that we make um, in a dependency that is 100% focused on him. Like I said, I want you to pull out your blue card, okay? The connection card that was in, in your... Uh, in your bulletin. The very first next step that's on the back side of that um, is to say yes to Jesus. And, and Matt, when he was up here um, right before communion, talked about that, okay? Talked about saying yes to Jesus. And, and one, I'm glad he said it. Um, it's, not a, it's not just like a, a quick and easy decision. Um, it is, but it's, but it's also more than that. And that's something that if you said that this morning, if you said that right before you came up and, and took communion, um, we'd love to know that. We'd love for you to mark that on your blue card because we'd love to walk alongside you. Along with yoking up with Christ, we as disciples, we as believers want to yoke up with you. We want to walk alongside you as you walk alongside Christ. So if you said yes to Jesus this morning, hallelujah. That's what we're here for. But please let us know so that we can help you in the coming days um, because 
That's not an easy decision to make. We don't want you to have to do that on your own. Um, The second one is just more of a practical one. Thinking about what does rest look like? What does refreshment look like on a daily, a weekly, and a monthly thing? Um, Like I said earlier, I don't think that the Sabbath is like, boom, this one day, 24 hours of rest. I think that there are Sabbaths that God's calling us to build into our lives throughout the week. It's not, you put God on Sunday, and you leave Him on Sunday, okay? We've got to find ways to refresh ourselves and ways to Sabbath intermittently throughout the week. And so um, I, I just wanted you to kind of think, think through that and check that box about, um, you know, what does that look like for me? And, and taking time this week um, to really intentionally schedule rest for yourself. The last one, I think, is the very best one. Send me the 30 days of fixing my eyes on God and the Bible reading plan. The number one best way to rest in him is to know who he is. This whole series has been focused on helping us see and recognize that Jesus Christ is the anointed one. He is the Messiah that God sent. He's the one that he had planned out. This this, uh, reading plan will help you kind of walk through for the next month Okay, um, and it's, it's a good time to, to kind of be focused on that. It's actually a good time to maybe use this and invite other people into it, okay? Um, because, man, I'll tell you what, there is nothing more powerful than reading Scripture. I'm seeing so many more people who are, like, it, it, coming to the, the realization that, hey, I started reading the Bible, and it's completely changed my life. People who are, like, just outright atheists, I got to figure out what's going on in this thing. So I'm reading it. And God's opening my eyes to who he is. <laughs> Hebrews 12.2 talks about Jesus being the author and perfecter of our faith. One of the things that, that this plan will help you see is that. He will help you write and perfect your faith in him. If you're more of a hard copy person, um, I think we have hard copies, and if not, we can get them for you. Um, If you forget to turn in your blue card, um, they're found online. But if you check that box on your blue card, we'll send you one in in an email in the next couple days. Um, But like I said, there's no better way to find rest and refreshment than getting into the word and maybe doing that with somebody else. Repentance is a choice that we make. We hear and obey. We trust and turn. We stop and we rest. God doesn't force us to do that. But he invites each one of us to repent and to find rest in Christ. I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And ask this question. Jesus, what are you saying to me through your word today? Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.